Hey, Tim. Hey, Julia. How's it going? Good. I realize in all these intros, you ask me that, and I never am like, how's it going with you? Oh, are you asking me now? I'm asking you right now. Oh, it's pretty good. Who did we talk to today? <laughs> we talked to music director and orchestrator extraordinaire Matt Castle. And in this episode, we were also graced with our very first visitor in the studio who witnessed us recording, which was... Um, a wonderful new experience, and it was Matt's um, co-orchestrator, Frank Gongano. So when you hear us referencing Frank, that's what's going on. <laughs> Enjoy! I enjoy your voices on these interviews, um, particularly you, you have two, this is Julie I'm talking to, uh, closed captioning for everybody. Um, because you have like two voices. One is the one that's like the chirpier, higher pitched for Julia. And then the other one is this plummy <laughs> thing that happens uh. that I love so much. I love them both. Oh my the throaty, plummy one. Amu- oh, I'm trying to imitate it. I'm not a good mimic. Is so entertaining to me. Um, there's, well, what were you going to say? I just, I've never heard my voice like described by someone with an ear before. It's fascinating. Well, this is what I do. Right? Yeah. This is like the half of my career is music direction. So this half of what I do is listen to people's voices and like, what's the story your voice is telling? Um, and uh, there's a show that only aired for like three seasons that I don't know what network or whatever Frank knows. This is the Stacey London show. Stacey London, you know who she is? From What Not to Wear. Yes. Yeah. So she did another show that was just her called Love, Lust, or Run. Okay, so it's a makeover show. Mm-hmm. And Why was it called that? Because <laughs> first they interview people. They show like whoever is the person of the week. They show random randos on the street. Here's, a, here's this person's look. Would you love this person? Would you lust after this person? Or would you run away from this Oh, it's sort person. of like fuck, Mary kill. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah, okay. Um, but it was before I'd heard that phrase. Well, anyway, so this is Love, Lust, or Run. And... And um, the person is like, well, this is this image I've cultivated over the years because this is my style. This is me. This is who I am. And Stacey's like, and how's that working for you? Because you're on my show. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And so always the line that she takes is, what do you want that you're not getting? That's not how she asks it. But like in actor terms, that's what we would say, right? What do you want that you're not getting? What's in your way? I'll tell you what's in your way is how you look. (laughs) 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 Um, And um, so part of the drill is always like all this makeup has to go. The outfit has to go. We're going to start you with a headband, no makeup, no hairdo, and you're in a white bathrobe and some cute slippers that came from some hospital somewhere. Um, Now, what do you see when you look in the mirror? I look hideous. I hate me. I would never want to have anything to do with me. That's ridiculous. I see a beautiful young woman who could do anything and who should be a fill in the blank, you know, (laughs) and a junior executive or whatever is the thing that is your dream of doing. Okay, now we're going to go shopping. They go to Soho and there's all this product placement. Um, Would you ever wear this? No, it's not me. I think it's you. (laughs) Here, it's a makeover show. It's what you expect. Uh Uh-huh. And at some point, there's always this magic moment when their voice changes. Usually huh. it drops. Because as Americans, like we take more people more seriously when they talk a little lower in their voice. We're like, the Brits, there's no problem. They can talk over here. But we don't, we don't truck with that here in the States. We don't like that. Okay. And the voice drops. And then the real person comes out. It's inevitable in every episode. And that is the calculated moment at which Frank and I both scream cry at the television <laughs> set. <laughs> Because you hear who this person is revealed just in their voice. 
Wow. And it's at a different moment from when they were revealed visually. Yeah. Huh. It's a, a second layer. And I got some kind of insight into the power of the human voice to communicate who you are and what you want and what you're missing. Yeah. It's so central to what we do, right, in our yeah. field. But I got it from a makeover show. That's so interesting. I remember I had a friend in college who confessed, you know, years into our friendship that he's constantly – he doesn't like the idea of being perceived as aggressive, so he was always pitching his voice like up and more gentle. And I was thinking just like the mental bandwidth to like keep track of doing that all it's the time. It's fatiguing. And so you're a writer. You package the thing that you need to say in the most effective whatever that means. You know, and there can be layers on top of it because there's through the layer of the filter of character there's the the layers of how do I get what I want, you know, manipulation or like all the many things that go on, right? And you're an actor, you get the language that's given to you, but all the other filters are yours to a deploy as yeah. you will. And I think when I'm running a rehearsal room, how do I, what am I putting out there? Because it's another form of acting. Huh. It's, wow. yeah. it's taking action to get the thing you want. In the case uh, of my job, what I want is for the actors to do their job well, <laughs> which is to connect them to what the writer wrote. Well, this is actually, okay, because, so I've sort of perceived that you have this like superpower, <laughs> which is that like when you're teaching music to actors, you always seem to know exactly how each person needs to be taught it. Okay. Which is like, very rare and and very wonderful in a music Thank director you. which like it sounds like it's like sort of connected to all of this what you're saying mm -hmm. like you're just able to sort of like pick up on this stuff it's a kind of listening yeah keying into people so how like how do you do it <laughs> um well so you're on opposite sides of my field of vision julia the writer has this thing she wants to say or this array of things that she wants to say and they're encoded in her music and in her lyrics and in the book that she co-wrote with Gordon or whatever. Right? <laughs> Just music. Gordon gets all the credit for everything else. Fine. <laughs> Gordon, you're so good. Everyone in this room admires you. <laughs> it's true. This one's for Gordy. <laughs> um, and then over here is Sam, the actor, and he's a ready vessel who's ready to say what he says as an actor, which is a complicated thing, because there's who am I, Sam Held, and then there's who am I, the character that I'm playing. Yeah. And both things have to serve through the language of Julia's music. All right. Um, so my job is to make sure the two of you are as in sync as you can be. Mm. You wrote what you wrote in the code of music, which is abstract. It has no definite meaning. Okay. So this syllables on this high note, what's that about? I don't know, but like <laughs> we're getting into something I don't know how to verbalize. Um, but it is in relation to the chord. It's in relation to the meter. So in the chord or out of the chord, those are the two options. Um, and if it's out of the chord, then it's like friendly to the chord or unfriendly to the chord. <laughs> and all of the above have meanings. Yeah. And if it's in the chord, it's root, third, fifth, seventh, ninth, whatever place in the chord it can be. And those all have different kinds of juice to them. They're all qualities, and every one of them informs the syllable that's on it. Okay. So, like, I'm computing all of that on sort of a math versus humanities level. That's how I interpret the music. Yeah. Um, but... I've done your job. 
you're better yeah. at your job than I am, I but I'm really that. good at understanding what you need for your job. Yeah. So like I translate your human character experience as Julia wrote it in the notes. I don't know. Does that make any kind of sense? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I'm sort of talking about like a, just a more pedestrian thing, which is just like, like teaching music, mm -hmm. like, like e every time I've worked with you, you s just seem to like intuitively understand how, and, and you teach it differently to the different I actors do. in the room. That's because you, everybody in the room is good at a different thing. Right. Some people, uh, there's three things to master when you're learning a piece of music. There's the timing, all the rhythm, when things happen. There's the pitch, how high or low it all happens. And there's what word. Right. Pray to Buddha that there are words, because when it's <laughs> la 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 or ooh ooh ooh, that's when my job is hardest. Huh? Because actors respond, all humans respond, or all humans who speak the same English language that we're working in yeah. respond to the words first, because that's a language that we get huh. concretely in a yeah. way that we don't get music. So when it's ooh ooh ooh, is when it's hardest. That's when you need people who really can count and know their way around a scale. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, um, but I have tricks for that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. So most actors key into the words first, and it's the thing you can reasonably expect an actor to sight read. You cannot necessarily reasonably expect them to sight read the pitches or the rhythms. Yeah. I find that rhythms, people are better at that than they are at pitches. Pitches is everybody's weakest area because it's the, there's least of a hook in it. Like to me, fa has a very specific personality. I know where fa is in a major scale. Mm -hmm. That's because I'm a big dork. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the actors necessarily know that. Yeah. Um, and if I say to you, oh, well, it's fa, you'd be like, so fa-ing what? <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, so I can't talk to you in those terms because that's just going to make you aware that I speak a language you don't. Right. Mm -hmm. except that's lame. Except Why am I going to make you feel that? It also seems bad? like you recognize when you can speak to people in those terms. Mm -hmm. Because so if I can, it's a shortcut. Exactly. And we can get some stuff done yeah. faster. Yeah. And the people who speak Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol will appreciate being spoken to in those terms yeah. and will secretly resent it if they know that I could be shortcutting with yeah. them and I'm mm -hmm, not. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely true. <laughs> well, so why am I going to do that? Yeah. I want everybody here to be happy they're here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, and, th and this is why, like, this is why I, s I call it a superpower <laughs> because like most people aren't, aren't doing that. You know, most people will get on it. Most people, most <laughs> people know how they're best at teaching. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, okay. like, like I'm not an MD, but I sometimes teach my own material just because, you know, I have to. And the only way I know how to talk about it is sort of through musical language. Like I have no intuition at all for how someone will understand it in a way other than the language of music. Because you don't want to sound fair. like you're like talking down to someone or something, you know. That's true. People are everyone is sensitive to being talked down to because we all know that we're missing some stuff. Like we got the skill set we got. And yeah, and, and we have the time we we're self-conscious about the stuff we don't have. Yeah, but it's just not even like it's a matter of talking down to you, but just thinking about how would I think about this if I didn't have at my disposal? Oh, like, I see. You know, which you I think somehow maybe know. you know that I never thought about this till this moment, but this is where being self-taught may be a help to me. I will. I did. I mean, I have training that came along later in life, but I started self-taught. So my way in was any curious, inquisitive person's way in, which is like, huh. what is this alarm clock? Take it apart. How does it work? Yeah. Put it back together. I could not 
ever do that with an alarm clock. <laughs> I would just have some springs and stuff. <laughs> but um, I'd have a lot of cut cuts on my hands. That's right. right. I would have some injuries. Yeah, there'd be first aid Im- involved. But I do have that with music. Um, I sat there picking apart pieces of music. Like, why does why is that my favorite part of this phrase? Why why do I have a favorite part of the phrase? <laughs> uh, what sort of pieces of music would you do it with? Uh, <laughs> Mozart piano sonatas. Because that was one of my first uh, like things worth investigating, but also pop songs, um, pop songs of the '70s, '60s, and '70s, because that was the sheet music I inherited from my parents. Oh. Pop music of the '80s and '90s, because that's when it started to be my thing. So, like all those chord structures, there's a lot of repetition from song to song, of chord structures and rhythm structures, um, even word things like "Why do you call each other baby?" Like <laughs> you sleep together. This is. Why are you ca- <laughs> what? That's just a thing of mine. <laughs> Don't call someone baby if you're going to sleep with them. Yuck. <laughs> um, or uh, whatever. No judgment, but but really judgment. <laughs> Yuck. Um, yeah, why? What? what is it about this note? Oh, it's not in the key. It has some spice in it. And like you can't just sit on that note. That note leads you to the next one. Yeah. You need the next note. Oh, okay. So then there's like a hierarchy and interdependence and um, yeah, self. But a, a lot of times in my self uh, um, exploration of my like self-guided exploration and, and curiosity led exploration, um, I would end up with questions I didn't know how to ask. Mm. Oh, um, wow. And those just kind of sat there. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I would find workarounds and then other times they would just sit there unresolved and that's where getting a formal education came to my rescue because it was like, there's a name for that. Interesting. And uh, Can you, like, do you have any examples off the top of your head? Well, some, a really nerdy one came to mind, but <laughs> like in nerd alert, <laughs> like the, ner- <laughs> the non-nerds have already tuned out. Um, so in four-part voice leading, you don't, traditionally double the third of the chord. Why? Because it makes the chord like topple over. It puts mm-hmm. too much emphasis on a thing that doesn't need emphasis. You double the root or second choice, you double the fifth. I knew that by instinct, but I didn't know that I knew it. Mm-hmm. And then when I started studying four-part voice, they, uh, they were like, don't double the third. <laughs> and there are reasons, theoretical reasons why you don't. But I was like, oh, oh, that's the name for that thing that I had an instinct about. But so instincts are wordless. That that's mm-hmm. why it's yeah. instinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when did this like training come into your mostly life? in college? Okay, which I was like, college. That is that a way that people leave home sometimes? <laughs> then I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what it was, because I nobody in my family went. We, oh, we're really? yeah, we're like my family's kind of from a bunch of different backgrounds, but the basic ethic is if you want something work until you can get it uh-huh. okay so that i came in with um i was curious i was talented and so i i saw a poster on the room in the music room in my high oh. school that was oh. like auditions for conservatory at music <laughs> university of the pacific oh auditions oh sure i could do that i've auditioned for plays <laughs> 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 you guys i knew nothing oh. i read the application it said prepare the following a movement of a Mozart or Beethoven piano sonata. It's like, okay, well, Mozart, I think I can pull that off. Mm-hmm. And a movement of any other thing of your choosing, 
that's within this length of time. And I had something that I had played in a competition that I taught myself to play. So I went in <laughs> and they're like, you, you taught yourself this? Yeah. You have no piano teachers listed here. Yeah. I, I never had one. Really? Okay. And they assessed my Mozart as a big mess, whatever is academies for a big mess. <laughs> um, but they, were, they were still got that like I had done this on my own. I aced the music theory part. Oh. Um, like the ear training and all that part of the entrance exam, I aced. So they were like, we'll take a chance on you. And I'm grateful to this day they did. Wow. So you got that far, like with piano playing on your own. Yeah, but it's so, so yes. And it, gave, it got me a lot of did stuff. You, was your fingering totally different than like. My fingering was a mess. Huh. I played like. Tong, 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 tong. <laughs> <laughs> Everything was super tight. My mm -hmm. forearms and fingers super tight all the time. Um, like Ralph the dog. Smash, smash, smash. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. uh, and I could play as fast as sheer will. <laughs> would mm. let me uh -huh. play, but I, I had no kinesthetic understanding of what's happening when a piano st sits at the keys. I, you know, and I barely do now. But anything I learned, I learned from my college teachers. So interesting. Wow. So, I guess I'm curious because so earlier you said th that this is like half of your career. What do you what do you conceive of as the other half? The other half is orchestrating, arranging, and orchestrating, and that Frank and I do together. Right. Um, and but that has just come about in the last 10 years since we've been together. Yeah. But d so you don't, you don't like conceive of acting as part of your career. Not anymore. Every once in a while, somebody will ask me, Hey, can you sing on a demo or sing in a concert or yeah. something? And that's great. I love to do it. I'm increasingly neurotic about it because uh -huh. my 10,000 times of doing it recede farther into the past mm. with every passing day. <laughs> you're like your 10,000 hours of practice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, so when when you came to New York, were you coming as an actor yeah. or as a as an actor and a musician? Or I kept my music skills in my back pocket. As oh, really? Yeah. As a like, um, pull this cord in case of emergency. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Wow. But when I came in, I moved here in the summer of two thousand, uh -huh. and. Um, it took me a while before I got the wherewithal and the nerve and the resume and the really bad headshots that I got. <laughs> really bad. It's not the photographer's fault. Either. <laughs> I just, I didn't know. Everything I know about acting was on the job training. Uh -huh. I've never had a class. I've played for some acting classes. That's the extent of my acting training. Um, so it was a while before I had the, my act together enough to even go audition. When I did, I auditioned for Theater Works USA, got a job, because I was 28, so I was a little older than their average yeah. bear, so my voice was farther along. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd figured some stuff then out Then their locally. average what? Bear? Well, I don't know. Did bear. you play a bear? <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't know why I said bear. <laughs> then the <laughs> average like bear. It's like a Yogi Bear thing or something, right? Yeah, That's maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe Thank I'm, you. I'm God, sorry. your ridicule stings, It might stings, be a generational Sam. thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I, ju I just thought you were telling us that you played a bear in the show. <laughs> no. I played an astronaut. What is it? Is it smarter oh, cool. than your average bear? Wiser than your Thank average you. bear? Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Somebody signed my yearbook once in high school. You're an odd bird, Castle, which is true. <laughs> but I was like an odd bird? An odd duck. Well, no matter what, when you haven't heard this expression, <laughs> it's super <laughs> random. <laughs> David, why are you writing that? I'm an odd bird. That is. Tweet? Hmm. Um, that is. I wonder what 
his intended effect was. I feel like that would give me pause too. Well, he was using a colloquialism that I had never heard before. Right. But even so, he's also one of three other message. people in my high school who would have used the word colloquialism. Hmm. That's why I was friends with him, <laughs> and that's why he's right. I'm odd. Um, <laughs> uh, I auditioned for the summer stock season at my hometown theater, which is Music Circus in Sacramento. I got it. So, like, I got a couple jobs right away uh -huh. while I was in Sacramento. At the end of the summer, I auditioned for a thing at another equity company there because I'd gotten my card by that time. So I worked a lot in my first year. In the middle of my first 12 months of being in New York, 9-11 happened, and the mm -hmm. job market all shifted because, oh. like, Broadway shows closed. People who were employed in Broadway shows as actors, stage managers, musicians moved to the next layer out of work, which right. is regional. It's so oh, like being the low person on the the hierarchy of you know working artists in the theater. I there was not really room for me anymore. Huh. Um, and uh, or at least that's that's how it seemed. So I would audition and wasn't kind of getting anything. And in hindsight, I think it's because better qualified, more experienced people were competing with me for the same jobs. So they were getting them because duh. Um, and so around that time I was starting to be offered like, Hey, I heard you play piano. Could you play for my class at such and such like actors connection or NYU or whatever? Could you play my cabaret? And then that got to be the thing. Uh -huh. um, and there's just over the years, there's been more call for me to do that kind of work than yeah. acting work. Is that, well, I guess I'm curious. So you said that you went to college and you studied music. So how did you end up moving to New York to try to be an actor? Throughout, the, I have two degrees in music, so like I got serious about it because uh, I found my people and that's where they were. Yeah. Um, but the whole time I was always doing community theater. I was appearing gotcha. in operas. I was singing in concerts, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and my singing training never had the pressure of this is your major. You'd better get it right. Mm -hmm. People are judging uh -huh. you. It was just kind of like get as good as you can. Right. So I, it was nice because, like, there's no point in pressuring a guy's voice when he's in his 20s. Like, mm. if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not. <laughs> I, that's my opinion <laughs> of men's voices. It's <laughs> like, it's going to be there when it's damn well good and ready. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You can learn good habits. You can sing well. But your full range won't be available to you till your voice ripens into whatever it's going to be. Oh, and I for some reason, that. for men, it just takes longer. Huh. Don't you? Like, that's true in a lot of ways, don't you think? I never thought about it before right now. It's sort of like an aphorism that girls mature faster. Yeah, I guess that's yeah. true, yeah. yeah. I think that's true in pretty much all ways. I, are you talking like specifically about like classical voice or just like in general? I have more experience with that, yeah. so I, I guess. But like you don't, you don't hear of big famous opera singers who are 22. Right. Yeah. You hear big famous opera singers, men I'm talking about. You, women, you do. But man, yeah. you don't you don't really start to hear about them till they're in their late twenties or thirties, mm. and then their career they stay in their vocal prime mm. till like late fifties. Mm -hmm. At least that's my impression. Yeah. I'm just thinking of it. I I was just talking to someone who's writing a show right now, and they're trying to decide. There's two parts that might be kids or might be adults, and we were talking about what you need to change if you know you're writing for kids, oh. and realizing how much I don't know about sort of the standard child's voice. I don't either. There are people who specialize in it, and I'm not one of them. Makes sense. Uh, but it's a smaller range. Yeah. You don't have, like, two registers, so or maybe you do. I don't mm. know. Don't I should stop talking about this because <laughs> I'm ignorant. 
<laughs> that's my intuition as well, though, that yeah. it's smaller. Yeah. And that you can assume less control. Yeah. And shows like um, School of Rock, those mm -hmm. kids were asked to do a lot vocally. And I, I don't know like how they did it. And I don't know who, what kind of coaching they had to have. Yeah. But I assume there are specialists on hand who, who understand kids and yeah. what they can do. Yeah. Nor so was I a child performer as a singer. Uh, me neither. <laughs> Except for, you know, in my, like, high school. Yeah. Um, I guess, so, taking it back, my, how, so I'm, like, fascinated in, like, people who have these sort of, like, multifaceted careers. So I guess what I'm curious about is, like, as, as this sort of, like, acting path sort of, like, fell away mm -hmm. and it went the other direction, like, what did, how did, how did you feel about that? There's a, a bone in an actor's head that is like, please like me, please uh -huh. approve of me. That bone was bruised. Yeah, <laughs> not broken, but but you know, like I I want to excel at anything I try my hand at. Yeah. So it was it was uh, painful, embarrassing, n not acutely, but like some to some degree to be not everybody's go-to for that and some of that is also like sh changing ponds you sure. go from your small pond or yeah. smaller um where i'm from is not by any means a small pond but like guys who can do anything stand out in high school guys who can do something okay stand out in college <laughs> and so on <laughs> the scale slides because there are yeah. fewer of us there yeah. are more roles so the competition is just less intense and then you come here where like oh you need a five foot two Chinese speaking, tumbling, <laughs> tenor with a high D. <laughs> Great. Here are my top 20 picks. Right. What? Right. You know, and I fit none of those categories, so I picked a weird example. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, I know yeah. exactly um, what you mean. And my skill set decidedly excludes dance. Mm. Like, I usually know which one is my left and which is my right. <laughs> That's my mastery of dance. <laughs> It's a good start. Yeah. I always <laughs> wish that, like, knowing, because I feel like with music, you really get a good rhythmic sense, and I feel like that should help more than it does. <laughs> I have a story about that. Ooh. A schmancy director came to me. Well, she has since become schmancy. I, she, in my mind, she was always schmancy. This is somebody I'd worked with in Summerstock. She called me out of the blue and said, do you tap dance? I said, no, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, except I didn't say it down. I probably said it real up and positive, <laughs> hopeful. <laughs> no, why? <laughs> and um, she said, well, I'm doing Dames at Sea at such and such a theater, and I thought you could be really funny as the captain. Um, but all six people in that show have to tap dance. I said, I love Dames at Sea. I would love to do that, and so thanks for thinking of me. Um, let me go... Um, see what I can find out about this. She said, yeah, you're so musical. I think you might really take to it. And there are stories of people who like, that's the only kind of dance they can do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just tap. All that's right. me. So yeah. <laughs> so my little heart harbored hope that <laughs> I might be one of those. Such was not the case. More music nerd story coming because I went to a class at Broadway Dance Center. It was aptly called beginner uh -huh. for once like sometimes they say beginner and then you're in there with like people doing triples well and but like, honestly i think the lowest level is basic and then beginner is a step <laughs> up from there <laughs> well whatever center. it said it was <laughs> it was in my case i was in the right okay, class good. okay so like we'd flap across the room and i was like 
Ma, look, I'm tapping. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'd like, you know, stomp and spank and like whatever the things are Mm -hmm. that you do. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is so good. I'm finding out what these are. I still didn't have an ear for it, BT dubs, and I still don't. People who really understand tap can listen to it and they can tell you what the sounds are because they all resonate differently on the floor and through your body and through the shoe. I don't have that sensitive an ear for it. But um, on my second or third class, she was like, okay, everyone, time step. You've heard of it, and now it's time. (laughs) I thought to myself, praise him, because I'm going to learn a time step. (laughs) Stomp. Stomp. I can do a stomp. (laughs) Hop. The eight pieces of a time step. And I'm turning them into music in my head, because that's the language I really speak Mm -hmm. primarily. So stomp is one. Spoiler alert, if you're not a tap dancer, stomp is not one. Stomp is eight. Correct. No one said that. Had she said, this is five, six, seven, stomp, I'd have been like, check, got it. But I learned the eight things in sequence, the eight steps, and to me they're like, one, two, three, four, one, two, because that's how meter works in music. Mm -hmm. No, it's five, six, seven, eight, dunk-a-dunk-a-dunk-a-dunk-a-dunk-a-dunk. So those powerful beats are all upward energy, which is part of the whole essence of tap dance anyway. Everything into the floor is also about rebounding up because you've got to defy gravity in order to tap. All right. Once she counted five, six, seven, and the whole room stomped, except me, and I stomped (laughs) on one, that's not embarrassing. That's a very customary feeling for me. The whole room is doing it, and I'm the only (laughs) one not. That was not a big deal. But I couldn't shift my musical Mm. understanding of where the stomp fit onto the new thing. Um, Be like saying, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. (laughs) Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one. I can't can't even do it. But it's so discombobulating. Right, totally. I I couldn't adjust fast enough. And then class was over and dismayed, I left. Never to return. Did you think, like, did you, were you... You were able to figure out in the class, oh, it's like the, the language is wrong that she was doing it on eight just at that point. I, yeah, I couldn't shuffle yeah. fast enough in the so allotted time. I and if I had come back and kept at yeah. it, but instead I called the director and <laughs> said, well, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Keep looking. I uh. forget if I've told the story on the podcast, but my mom is a pianist and she used to play for dance classes. And she, I now I forget if this like happened to her, if it's just an urban legend, but <laughs> of like having the dance teacher being like, you know, d- I just play something in three. My mom would play something well, so yep. whatever. And she'd be like, no, no, you're not listening to me. Play something in three. And I'd be like, oh, maybe it's a different feel. I'll do something else in three. And the dancer's getting more and more annoyed. No, just, uh, do I have to clap it out for you? One, two, three. One, two, three. Uh-huh. I have oh one wow. about that, like, learning seven, eight. I would go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven. <laughs> yeah. And it, the, the math nerd in me is who figured out, oh, seven has two syllables. <gasps> No wonder this isn't work, uh, isn't working. See my eyes, I can hardly see. Oh, see my hand, I can hardly <laughs> walk. Oh, I believe you can make me whole. <laughs> <laughs> oh that my was God. my gateway to seven eight. Was Andrew Lloyd Webber? Of course, oh, nice, of nice. course. Ooh, yeah. copyright protected. Don't worry about it. Fair use. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> I feel like mine was probably some part of company. Is there seven eight is in there company? What's there might be. What Bobby, Bobby, baby, Bobby, 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 Bobby. That is what hard is to that? count. However yeah. you stack it, it's <laughs> hard to count. That's all I mean. Yeah. <laughs> My intro to counting that wasn't yeah. straightforward. But I motivated by something you want to get. Yeah, 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 totally. I think my my first like um, foray into strange meter was um, once upon a mattress sensitivity. Oh. 
Yes. Yeah, I was thinking four, about right? that song this morning. Yeah. And 5-4 is generally either th- uh, uh, three beats followed by two beats or vice versa, two mm-hmm. followed by three. And the lyric in there, the accompaniment is always one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one, two. But the lyric keeps shifting. Yeah. Oh, sensitivity, sensitivity. I'm just loaded with that. Those are the, that's the standard uh-huh. scansion. But then she says, "In this one word is the epitome of <gasps> the aristocrat. Is the epitome two three one two three. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That was brain bending the first time yeah. I, <laughs> I was so like cool. parsing it with tweezers at the piano the first time I did that uh-huh. show." So if you're teaching something like that to someone, how do you, just like the more I think about teaching music, the less, the more mysterious it sounds to me, (laughs) like how you get a person from from being like, this is just nuts to like, oh, I understand it. It's in me. Repetition is a key. Anything in the music that repeats is your friend Mm -hmm. when you're teaching it. So Mm -hmm. I would say for that, assuming this person has never heard this piece of music, which like now is a thing that never happens because there's all these ways you can just get the music. Um, you know what I mean? Online, you can get 25 renditions of it right off the bat. Well, unless it's something Julia's just written. Okay, <laughs> so let's say Julia just wrote Sensitivity. Sorry, Mary <laughs> Rogers and Marshall Bearer. <laughs> um, so the part that repeats is the melodic pattern. Same note down uh same note da da dum same note da da dum bum and even that is three times it's in sequence moving down a step every time so i would start with that and then like let's maybe that's the chorus of the song that this is we're getting farther and farther from the actual song that we're talking about but like that i wrote that you wrote (laughs) good job um so that's the chorus let's let's go through the song and, and sing the chorus every time. So you're mm. drilling uh, in rapid succession, you're writing on your memory the, the thing that's gonna repeat. And I might do it without the words because the words will confuse the issue. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just do it on Dada. That, well, I, I don't know. Yeah. Is that a good example? Yeah, no, All I right. think it's so interesting. Yeah. But anything that repeats is your friend. It reminds me of what you were saying about Sam who is a theater major with a math minor is that right yeah yeah about how sort of the the pattern finding was an overlap between the two mm-hmm. things yeah and it totally comes into play in music yep and in choreo mm-hmm. uh, especially mm-hmm. tap dancing because <laughs> <laughs> it's all patterns yeah. and they always fit on a matrix of usually eight counts yeah mm-hmm. i can't wrap my head around choreography that's sort of like willy-nilly like you sort of just do it at around here and it's <laughs> not like to like actual like like numbers like. i have an ambivalent relationship to that because part of me admires and is grateful for freedom from the rigid structure of the math and part of me is terrified about the chaos yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I d- uh, how do you how do you balance that <laughs> well part of me also enjoys ambiguity so like my favorite composer is brahms why there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is there are times when you can't tell where the phrase began and where it ended or where mm-hmm. one begin. Like, does this note conclude the phrase that I've been hearing or does it initiate the phrase that is about to begin? And there are times when my jury is out and I, this is a, could be a piece I've known for 25, 30 years and I still haven't made up my mind. Oh, I love that. And part of 
his skill as everything is so orderly, everything has a place, everything is justified, but there are still these mystery spots. Kind of keeps the wonder alive for me. Wow. Oh, I love that. This is basically changing gear, but just thinking about, like, listening to you talk about Brahms, when you're going in to, like, orchestrate things, what do you, like, how does that translation process work in your head? Like, when you look at the score, what does it tell you for how to proceed? The, in a way, the process is a lot like, how am I going to teach this piece of music to the actors who don't know it? which is find the easiest way in and then go from there because that's building on strength um, which is more inspiring hmm. building on <laughs> on adversity <laughs> and <laughs> failure <laughs> is for people who are less faint of heart than I am right. um, so like but it's so sad how that is sort of an instinct you know because if you're trying to do something I would immediately focus on like why is this challenging for me like what do I need to like Fix How am I messing up? <laughs> oh, Mr. Grant. Well, I will back up a minute also to say that the thing about uh, listening to the actors and what's going to make you succeed in the room is largely rooted for me in wanting everyone here to be happy. Uh -huh. <laughs> Not because I'm responsible for the happiness of everyone in the room, but when I'm leading the room, I feel directly implicated in the happiness of everybody mm. here. And I'm a pleaser. I want people to be associating me with, that was good, that was fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, there's obviously a flip side to that, which is a major insecurity about making people unhappy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm conflict averse, I'm conflict avoidant, resistant, fearful, right? So I, I get that and that's a liability of mine that, that does show up sometimes because conflict is inevitable. So I'm on a lifelong quest to train myself to be better at facing conflict. Yeah. Uh, that was a slide. <laughs> um, what would you ask? You. I hear you. Orchestration. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. like, which road should we go down? We could also talk about avoiding conflict. Because part of me is like, <laughs> I don't know. Do we have Dr. Phil on speed this dial, this, by yeah. the way? Or at least Delilah? I, I had, just I had therapy earlier today. So. <laughs> okay, so, so go back to orchestration. No, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. <laughs> this is the thing I feel okay about talking about. I'm just wondering, like, do we think Freshly the world okay. as three, I think as three conflict-avoidant people sitting here, like, would the world just be better if everyone avoided conflict all the time? Well, but you I just think did both of the voices, by the way, and the one has in it the plummy one, I call it, uh -huh. <laughs> the throaty one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that voice so much because it's a joke that we're all in on. It's very welcoming um, and it's warm, uh, but it's mainly humorous and it's it's uh, closer to your heart. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. I, I feel so judgy of my own voice. It's so... No, it's delightful. Thank you Besides, so what's to judge? Your voice is your voice. Your voice is who you are. I feel like it's that weird thing where... You know how your voice sounds different in your own head than it does in the room, and yeah. so then when you hear it back, it's you're inevitably just so awesomer when it's in your head. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all pitch our voices to be what <gasps> we think will sound great. Oh, oh, that's so interesting that we're doing our own feedback based on what we're hearing, <laughs> which is not because we're so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and the people out there who consistently impress me are the ones who are themselves, seemingly without reflection for what other people think of that. Right. Like that's that's a trait I admire mm. in other people yeah. and aspire to. Yeah. That's a, an but as I mean, process. part of, part of my, part of my like pleasing, like conflict averse mm. 
um, behavior is that like, for example, if we're coming into a music rehearsal, if I've been given the music beforehand, I'm going to learn it beforehand. Because you do not want to be the one who made this trouble. Yeah, I don't want to be the one who's like, you know, taking up everyone's time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be the one who's like, you know, like a burden on the room. Um, That's a key to, I think, my leadership style is that I will mess up and that's okay. Because I have the right to mess up too. Nah. I'm accountable for leading this ensemble and for being a step ahead of you, but I'm accountable to be precisely one step ahead of you. <laughs> and if there are more, that may be because I'm not inside it, so I have a wider perspective, or maybe because I'm supposed to be a specialist in this field, so yeah, I should be a little, f or whatever. Mm. Like, I reminds me of SAT tutoring, always one step ahead. <laughs> but only one, Yeah. because we're both exactly. learning. Yeah. If I'm not learning, then why am I here? Because what do I have to gain from this? Feeling great about being so perfect at something? <laughs> 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 That's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, well, orchestration, you and Frank yeah. is here with us, so mm -hmm. possibly he may push one of us off this mic and say, <laughs> here's the part you're not saying. Because <laughs> we work together um, pretty much all the time. Neither one of us orchestrates something without the other one. Which um, is so interesting in and of itself. In and of itself, because it's typically a solitary art form. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of information to manage, to hold in your head. But what I personally find that I gravitate towards the detail end of things, like on the spectrum from forest to trees, mm -hmm. I gravitate towards the tree side, where like the bugs that live on the leaves that uh -huh. live on the <laughs> branches mm -hmm. of the trees. I'm fascinated by details, and I love the way they telescopically relate up to the grand design that they're serving. But I'm I enjoy the the minute aspects of things. So, so that's fine. There's a lot of minutia to, to sort and to attend to in orchestration. A lot of time, and Frank is better at uh, not better at, but is equally comfortable in the minutia because there's plenty of that that he has to clean up in our work together. But he's all he never really loses perspective on the forest. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times one of us outlies and usually it's him because I lose sight if I go into the, the leaves on the branches. Uh -huh. This is making me think about something that I always do my own orchestration mainly just because it's cheaper and I got to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. But I feel like when I'm orchestrating stuff and this sort of just reminds me of like details and minutiae, I'm always like unsure about at a basic level when things like different instruments, what they're doing should be like the same versus different. Like especially with stuff like rhythm, rhythm and articulation. Like when is it like, oh, for this to be a gesture that makes any sense, everyone needs to do it. Yeah. Versus when is it like, oh, it would be so cool if like this guy's doing this, but this guy's doing this other thing. Mm -hmm. um, that's not even a question. I'm just <laughs> what I thought. <laughs> of no, but it does make me run down a whole track of like a thing that is real that we deal with in orchestration, and that the fewer instruments there are matters more and more. Hmm. So t uh, Michael Starobin is somebody who comes to mind instantly in this regard because uh, Michael Starobin is a, you know who he is? Orchestrator yeah. and he's amazing, right? So the shows I th most strongly associate with him are the ones for a small ensemble, like hmm. Hello Again, Spelling Bee, where it's like, here's a quirky bunch of guys gonna <laughs> do something together. What'll they come up with next? <laughs> Particularly Spelling Bee, which is so quirk forward, yeah. right? quirk forward, I love that. Because that's how the show is. So the orchestration is tempered to match the way the show feels, yeah. the way the characters feel and the action feels. Um, 
he's a master at when do they need to be acting in concert and when do they need to be acting independently and how much independence of each other can the listener's ear tolerate mm-hmm. before it descends into chaos. Though strangely in Pandemonium, he lets the lyric do a lot of that heavy lifting for him because the orchestra needs to chug pretty clockwork style in order to hold that crazy beat together and let the singers have a strong foundation to do all their uh, counterpoint on top of. That is counterintuitive. That's interesting. Yeah, but it makes sense when you think about what the actors need to hear. Mm -hmm. What they're hearing around them is crazy town. So they need to hear under them through the floor and through the monitors that are feeding them the band. They need to hear a steady beat. Yep. <laughs> I would say that actors always need to hear that. <laughs> they always do. That's the heartbeat of the song. So that okay. So going back to what you asked earlier, Julia, what's the, where do we start? And I said the easiest way in. Um, and there's a lot of ways that can present. One is here's our favorite song. Here's the one that spoke to us fastest, or that mm. we understood what it's about. Mm. We're just we had a, an instinctive, gravitational pull towards. Sometimes it's something more global, like what's what does this show? <laughs> I was gonna say, what does this show smell like? That's a stupid <laughs> thing to say, but what I mean is like, what's the essence of this show? What do I want to walk out of the theater feeling? Um, so a show we didn't score <coughs> that is so masterful is Light in the Piazza. Mm. I walk out of that feel that theater feeling like. I just remembered something I forgot. I walk out of that theater feeling like that's what beauty feels like and sounds like. (laughs) There's a song called The Beauty Is that's in the show and that's why it belongs in the show. In a way, it's the thesis of the whole show. So were I orchestrating that, not as well as it was actually done (laughs) because it's masterful, that would be my guiding ethic. leave something lingering in the air. A lot of the magic of that is what is between the notes or letting it stay mysterious. Don't solve the problems. Mm. Um, if you look at the score, it's all like five against seven mm-hmm. and these yeah. crazy mathematical relationships that if you tried to parse them and square them off to be a- mathematically precise and accurate, you would kill the, the magic. Yeah. Yeah. Golly. Can we talk? Because uh, you you guys also reorchestrated into the woods, for yeah. example, and I remember seeing it and being like super impressed with those orchestrations. Like I thought they were amazing. Thanks. Um, so in that case, what is what is that like when there's already sort of one established? You know what I mean? The hard part for that was the hard part of that was harder for Frank than for me because he's way more familiar with Jonathan Tunick's work on the original orchestration. For me, it was less hard because I'm not so off book for the cast album. Uh-huh. I didn't listen to it on repeat um, the way he did. Th- I have other shows that are that way for me. Like if you changed a note of the Passion Orchestration, I'd be like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> you know, or a Pajama Game or Sweet Charity or like fill in the blank, whatever mm-hmm. the shows that I know that way. But that wasn't one of them for me. Not because I didn't love it. It just it wasn't one of those for me. So I didn't have something to forget. That helped. Yeah. It specifically helped because we were told when Fiasco got permission from James Lapine and Stephen Sondheim, do whatever you want 
it's okay, the show will survive. The show is well enough established. You can do whatever you want. Hire a musical director and go to town. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but here's the one caveat. You may not replicate any of Jonathan Tunick's work uh, that he, that, that's his. And I'm like, well, how do we know? Yeah. Do we have a before and after that we can compare? And I found out the answer to that later after it was all done and didn't matter anymore. <laughs> and the answer was um, Sondheim said, starting with Sweeney Todd, I hope I made this right. He said that starting with Sweeney Todd, when you get a rehearsal piano chart, like the, the thing that you play in rehearsal, mm -hmm. that is the piano part as he wrote it. Huh. Um, if you see three staves, it's because that's how many notes, uh, that's how many staves it took for him to account for the ideas that he had uh -huh. to put out there. Whereas if you see something like Forum or Company, the shows that predate Sweeney Todd, um, you're seeing a reduction of the orchestration that was done oh. from his original. So his original piano parts aren't in print for those. Oh. Um, well, so like I said, I found that out after the fact. And <laughs> Into the Woods, there are sometimes there's like two, three, four, five staves worth of, because there's overlapping fanfares or whatever. Mm -hmm. When you see that, that's all him. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. So what did I know? I knew that I was working with this group of 10 actors. Fiasco w used 10 actors to do that into the woods. And they said to themselves, what do we need to do this story? We need some actors. We need the text, which includes the, the music. And we need a piano. After that, we'll add when we discover that we need more. So what you saw was something that started at the least possible base, and w we added after that. Um, what was the ensemble for that? It I was saw it really I hodgepodge. Yeah. Um, we started with, well, who here plays what? Because it's a musical bunch of people. Yeah. They are not made primarily of people who are identified as musical theater performers primarily, but they're all obviously musical people. So Ben plays guitar, great. Paul plays guitar too, okay. <laughs> Paul also plays cello really well, oh, okay. Liz plays bassoon, what? <laughs> <laughs> Etc. cetera. Um, Claire and Jesse both play piano. Okay, well we have a pianist, but who knows? We could jam on four hands or we could jam on six hands or like that could be a jamboree at some point. Yeah. Somebody say jam. Um, <laughs> We didn't end up using that much, but then later I found a way to use it. Um, I say I because that one started as me because it was a music director gig with some added responsibilities, <laughs> and then it soon ballooned into more than I could could do by myself. So starting on the second production, the one in San Diego, Frank joined the team. Gotcha. Um, and that's when that being able to see the big picture was of m major import because being in it, my hands were literally full. There was stuff sure. I could not attend to yeah. in the singing and the instrumentation. Um, so part of it was taking stock. What do we have that we can use? And part of it was, well, what would be good? <laughs> 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 so um, uh, different, different considerations could lead the decision making uh, for different aspects of the show. One that comes to mind is Jack and his mother and Milky White. What's that family about? They're physical, like in the earth people. You get the sense that she is no stranger to hard physical work. Mm -hmm. Then why does she sing, Jack, 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 hit it all <laughs> Why does she have this <laughs> funny, 
high warbly voice. What is that telling me about this character? And it, it didn't really make sense on the actress we had. And even off the actress we had, it kind of didn't make sense to me for her to have this dotty soprano vocal range. And Liz, who played her, is so straight shooting. And so, like, this is me. This is what I, this is who I am. This is what I do. That it, it's, like, she could act anything. So that's fine. We could give her a phone book and she'd make magic. But, but why work that hard? Like, what's a more direct line from Liz as she reads this text to this piece of music? So the obvious first step was change the key. Hmm. And we moved it down a ton. Jack, Jack, Jack. She's now just straight talking her ah. son who needs to be straight talked. Okay. How can we distinguish her, that, that family's color world from like, I want to go to a ball at the festival. Mm -hmm. How can these two things be in stronger contrast to each other? Because we don't have a set yet. We're, we're figuring that out as we go. But I think it's just going to be come down center and do your scene. So we don't have a scenic assist mm -hmm. to move us from place to place. So we what about a sonic one and, and a vocal one? And one thing led to another. We're like, well, so-and-so plays banjo, so-and-so plays guitar. Let's get the piano out and drive all of their music just with guitar and banjo. And then we started to get this like Appalachian world mm. and hear the, the skeletal chord structures under the music and like, her chorus of Into the Woods, which is the first one in the show, I think, maybe I'm wrong about that. No, Little Reds is the first. Um, so we've just heard Little Red, then we go to Jack, and like we want them to be two different sound worlds. Well then reverse engineering from there, Little Red is a kid who always reminds you that she's a kid. Hmm. She's always running around being precocious and stomping on toes and eating too much bread. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like her thing, right? Uh, it's it's the persona she puts out there. I'm a kid. That's right. You heard me. <laughs> so let's put kid forward. How about a toy piano? Enter one of our other actresses in the company who plays piano. So we get her a toy piano, and she plays tink, tink, a tink, tink. <laughs> now we've got two really different sound worlds. We, what about the people who play brass? Save them for the fanfares. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and so forth. Uh, I mean, it's like... <laughs> it's so cool to hear all of this because that's that's exactly the impression I got was like it was definitely it was creating all of it was it was aiding in the like characterization of everyone. Yep. yep. Um, which is, was really cool. Yeah. Particularly when you're seeing the same actor flip from role to role. Yeah. Right. Because with only 10 people, there's right. a lot of doubling. Yeah. Mm. That's I mean, I'm like I'm <laughs> I feel like a fan right now. <laughs> That's unusual, though that that way of coming about it, and right. But but that's but it was so exciting to watch because it has an authenticity to yeah. it. It has a um, it, it has a sense of economy of purpose. Well, that also feels. I've never worked with Fiasco, but that feels like their vibe is that sort is their of vibe. like scrappy. Like mm -hmm. let's tell the story as economically as mm -hmm. possible, which gives it potency. Yeah, nothing is wasted. And then if there is something that's added just for your delight, <laughs> somehow you know it's a little yummy present and <laughs> you <laughs> savor it all the more. <laughs> Do you see there merrily? Yeah. Okay, what? It yeah. closed. You missed it, Jules. Um, <laughs> so time is rewinding, and Jesse, who plays Mary, is <laughs> in one of the flashbacks. I mean, as time is rewinding, 1971 or whatever mm -hmm. it is, 
um, she keeps spitting martinis out of her mouth back into the glass <laughs> and she spits out like five martinis oh in a row God, so it was funny. amazing without refilling i wish i had seen it <laughs> and they're taking off layers of clothes so she yeah. goes from being hefty yeah. you know unhappy yeah. boozy mary to slender i can do it all mary yeah it was amazing yeah <laughs> um in a more well it's, oh, there's a couple ways into orchestrating another one is money the the producer says, "Here's how many musicians you can hire." Oh, and here's, oh, and then we go. We also do some research into like what's the market. Oh, it's an off Broadway show, and then you can get people who do anything because they're mm. New Yorkers at the top of their game. Yeah, it's a smaller theater market where there is no harp in this town. You may not have a harp. Oh, mm. okay, or whatever, right? So like, what are the resources we have to work with? And then that's like doing chopped. All right, well, I'm going to make a gorgeous work of art. Right, given these Using ingredients. Using kale chips and right. <laughs> chocolate bark. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, right? So you can make some nummy stuff there. <laughs> wow, yeah. That's 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 something I guess we haven't talked much about on this podcast is like the balance of like artistry versus business. Pragmatism, yeah. Yeah. That's true. But it's good because uh, it, there have to be limits. Yeah. And you're either going to set them for yourself or they'll be imposed on you by other right. forces. So it doesn't make any difference to me. And if there's something that we feel like, but y'all, we need a harp because the show is called Angels Who Play Harp. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and the whole score is written for a harp. So <laughs> that's what we need. So can, can you hire a harpist from out of town or right. like what will it take? Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Then we go from there. Yeah. <laughs> There should be a show that called classic. that. <laughs> Angels who play hearts. <laughs> what a stupid show. <laughs> I love it. It'll be a hit. That's all, Rob. <laughs>